House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Welcome back into the House of Mystery. And, of course, I'm Al Warren. Co-host today, of course, is Mr. David North Martino. Hey, Al. <laughs> Four days. Once again, with all three names. Four days in a row. We're Four being days nice. In a row. It's crazy. Yeah, oh yeah. We're being nice. You know, <laughs> it's going to change. <laughs> it's going to snap right back. Oh, even just, worse. Just wait yeah. till Monday. Oh. Yeah, lots of lots of hostility to get out. Yes, you know, you know, I'm looking violence. forward to it. Well, of course you are. Today we've got. Um, a uh, real interesting writer. Um, I know the latest book is Iconoclast, and it's part of a Sean McPherson novel. It's book two. Um, so let's find out what's going on here. So, uh, Laurie Buchanan, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, great, great. Um, hopefully you stay that excited right through. <laughs> <laughs> we don't bore you too much, you know. Um, well, this is interesting. So now you, you're doing this series um, and Sean McPherson, I guess, is, is the main character through the series. Um, how, how does one approach doing a series of books like that? Um, and I mean from your main character or main two characters or whatever you've got in a book. Do you, do you sort of outline that character? Do you make them who they are and kind of write their events out and what kind of life they are and who they are? before you put them in the book? That's great. And the answer is yes and no. And I'll explain myself. I do uh, absolutely create a full backstory for each of the characters, no matter how small they are. But there are planners and there are pansters when it comes to actually writing the story. And I'm a panster all the way. I don't know until I go to sleep the night before and something happens in my head, what's going to happen on a writing day. So today's a writing day. And I didn't know what I was going to write today until it happened in my head last night. But as to the characters themselves, I actually have a great big three-ring binder. And each character has its, its his, his or her pages of where were they born, how old are they, how tall are they, what color hair do they have, what color eyes, what, uh, what is their um, fault, what are their pros, their cons, who are their parents, you know, what burden are they carrying? What are they afraid of? That type of thing so that I can, I, I feel like I know them. That way, that sleeping stuff that happens can happen. If I didn't know my characters, that wouldn't happen. Well, so, okay, so let's say Sean McPherson. Mm -hmm. How do you get um, this character to start? And I mean, so you've got your, you've got your binder out. You've got the, the person. How did you name them and how do you decide what they're going to look like and the characteristics of them is this this is from someone you know um or a couple of people you know that you kind of mix together like where where does that all start that's a that's a great question and the answer for sean mcpherson and his formal name is sean mcpherson and we all call him mick because there's two Sean's in the book. And so they call one Mick for Sean McPherson. And the other one is Sean Rafferty and they call him Rafferty. He Rafferty is one of Sean McPherson, Mick best friends. Well, I was at, I was at 
Um, I was a writer in residence at Hedgebrook, which is on Whidbey Island off the coast from Seattle. And I was there writing a nonfiction book. My first two books were nonfiction. And I came out of my little cottage one day to take a break. And in the distance, I saw what looked to me to be like a, a landscaper, some kind of uh, person working. He was pushing a wheelbarrow that had stuff in it. And he had a distinct limp. And he happened to be very, very attractive. And in my mind, I, because of his age bracket, I thought, wow, I wonder if something maybe happened to him in Afghanistan, something like that. And that seed was planted in the back of my mind. That was years and years ago. When I decided to start writing um, suspense thrillers as opposed to nonfiction, that little seed started sprouting in my brain. And I happened to have a Scottish background. So I thought, you know, I'm going to have, a, I'm going to have him be a, a Scottish person. So I just got online and what's a common name, Sean. And, and his name went from there. And Mix are typically uh, Scottish. Max are typically Irish. His sister in the book, his sister Libby is married to Neil McCullough. So that's an M-A-C. So they have a fun little um, back and forth between the Irish. You know, she's a trader. She traded sides all in fun, of course. So he's a Mick and she's a Mac. And that's it just took off from there. Well, you know, I'm wondering how you experience Sean. Do, do you have uh, maybe an inner monologue in your head? Can you hear the dialogue? Is, is, is that how you create your character? I don't know that I have an inner dialogue. Um, it, it's something that I see in my head. So maybe I do, but I, I actually more see it okay. than I hear it. It's, it's really like it truly happens when I have my eyes closed and I'm in bed. And then the next day, bam, or if it's something I think I'm going to forget, I sleep with my iPhone next to me and I, I turn on the speaker and I record what it is that is happening in my head. So it's almost like a movie in your mind. It is a movie in my mind, yes. Hmm. So when you go to bed then and close your eyes, is there any time that you wake up in the morning and you're wearing boots and there's mud on them? Or something? <laughs> <laughs> you kind of you shovel you, beside the bed. Yeah, and you don't really know what, where, what, how that got there, and you kind of hmm. a bloody knife. No, yeah. that hasn't that hasn't happened, and I don't have nightmares either. Somebody asked me if I had nightmares. I don't. I don't sleep well because I'm busy creating these these you know screenplays in my head. But uh, I I love it. Well, it's, you know, it's an interesting process. Now, do you, do you, you talk about the pines and quail, like it is, is your location in particular like this, is it written like a character as well? Does it have its own? Absolutely. It is definitely a character. Now, pines and quill is a figment of my imagination, but it's, it's located in the very real Fairhaven, which is a historic district in Bellingham, Washington. It go in your mind, take yourself to the, the map and go to Washington state as far north and west as you can possibly get. That's where Bellingham is. It's just maybe 50 miles from the Canadian border. And there's Bellingham Bay and then Puget Sound and then there's the San Juan Islands and then you hit the Atlantic Ocean. So when I went to Bellingham, um, 
I, I was actually going to have this take place on the Columbia River. I, when I was 15, I ran away from home, from San Diego. I ran up north. I lived on the Columbia River, next to the Columbia River for quite some time. And I was going to have this take place there. But I was teaching in Edmonds, Washington. I was doing a writer's conference. And afterwards, my husband and I drove up to Bellingham. And the minute we hit town, I said, no, 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 no. This is it. Everything changed. And because when you think in terms of that kind of geography, it is ideal for somebody who's a, a mobster. And in this case, it's Giorgio the Bull Gambino. It's perfect for running guns, for running drugs, and for running humans. You, you are, I mean, I'm sure that the Chamber of Commerce in Bellingham just can't stand me, but it is absolutely <laughs> perfect. It's ideal. Well, I'll give the chamber your phone number. <laughs> they can call you direct. Well, in Fairhaven, it's really old part of town. I I lived in Bellingham for. Oh my a, gosh! So I'm you a know. Seattle boy. Yeah, I'm Seattle. You're not boy. there anymore because you were running drugs and guns. Exactly. Yeah, actually, yeah, it was so easy to do it across the border. It's amazing. <laughs> Canadians are so friendly. You know, come on in. You got any? Yes, I do have drugs and two bodies. Is that okay? Oh sure. No, it's. It, it, so that's a very old kind of – I always thought of that. It's kind of near the – how do I say? I always thought of Fairhaven as kind of a – kind of the, the old haunted area yes. in town. You know, it has that feeling of of when it was first discovered type thing. You know, it has that old atmosphere to it. Absolutely. And in the first book, Indelible, I do touch on that a tiny bit and also – um, that location, there are several Indian reservations, and I, I, I pivot on that a little bit as well. It's, it's, a, it's an incredibly interesting location. Right now, I'm writing book four, which is Iniquity, and part of it's taking place on Mount Baker. And, I, I, you know, it's just what a location. I mean, there's everything you could possibly want. Yeah, and more. well that's it's kind of um gets me to kind of go um so how how do you create that story how do you get what you want to do with this main character and the other characters as well because you you've got the kind of the idea of who these people are and their background and kind of their looks their names and Mm -hmm. who they are but you've got to put them together and put them in, in in a situation that people are going to find interesting where does that is that come from the same place at night with the eyes closed yes and that you you know you have to create with um especially suspense thrillers you have to create tension that's why people read them they they want you know they want angst they want to be white knuckled people people who who are go after the suspense thriller are looking for that now you probably, because you do this show, you know the difference between mysteries and suspense thrillers. But maybe for those listeners who don't, mystery um, writers, readers typically don't know who done it or why done it until the end of the book. As a suspense thriller writer, I tell you right up front, you know exactly 
who done it and why done it right from the get go. So that the thing that creates the tension is the reader knows, but the characters in the book don't. And this is something that Alfred Hitchcock all, did all the time. The people viewing the movie knew they were like, don't open the door. Oh my gosh, don't go in the basement. Don't whatever. And so the readers know that and that creates an, an additional level mounting of angst for the readers because they know exactly who done it and why done it. It's they're just waiting for the shoe to drop. And that's what I love about writing suspense thrillers. Well, you know, you said you're partially a pantser. Uh, I'm just wondering, as you're creating these characters, creating these stories, has your characters done anything to surprise you? Have, have they just kind of like rebelled against a plot or anything like that? I haven't had anybody rebel, but I did <laughs> kill somebody I didn't think I was going to kill. Uh -huh. That really surprised me. That goes back to Alan's wondering if I woke up in the morning with a coat and muddy boots. Um, I did <laughs> not. I had no, as far as I knew, this person was going to be long term. And nope, nope, not at all. And that so, could be hard. Yeah, and who did you put in, create this character after? Someone we should know? <laughs> no, I'm not going to tell you. But, but, you know, you were talking about some, some uh, high-profile high Hollywood people at the beginning of this. One of their personalities was somewhat, somewhat like one of those personalities. And though I didn't <laughs> think I was going to kill him, it was sort of lovely to do it. <laughs> so how long have you felt good about killing? <laughs> I know, right? Uh, you know, in my in my previous life, I actually have I have a PhD in holistic therapies with an emphasis in energy medicine, and I'm all about you know keeping people alive and, and healthy. But this was a really fun turn, and I've been doing this now for for several years, and it is it is really you get to take out you get to vent your frustrations legally, and it's very nice. Yeah, I would say, you know, um, I've talked to writers before. I know J.D. Horn's one of them that he, he, he uses people that are bad to him or mean to him, and he kills them off in his book. There you go. So therapy. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, but when you, okay, so when you've got this story mm -hmm. and you're doing a series, mm -hmm. do you kind of know what the outcome is going to be? in general and you kind of work your way there in general i do and so i am right now writing the second to the last chapter of book four and the thing with every one of my books is i have to put the prologue of the next book in that book so i have to have an idea um, uh, it's sort of like headlamps. I can't remember Dr. Rowe, that is the, the person's last name, an author with the last name of Dr. Rowe, said that writing is somewhat like, like driving at night in the car. You only need to know what's happening, what you see in the headlights. And that's kind of like the writing for me. But I do need to know what's happening. And I, I base the entire book on the four-letter or four-syllable title. I think of what, what do I want to, and then I get, what do I want to write about, uh, what, what is the word? So in this case, I'm writing iniquity, and I base the entire storyline on that. And typically, I slip that into the prologue. The, that, and the word is only used once in the entire story, and it's typically slipped in the, in the prologue. And then I write to that end. Wow. So 
how how do you decide what that title is going to be? Like, does the word come first? The word comes first. And then, so when you, if you were to Google um, four syllable words that start with the letter I, almost all the good ones start with I-N as in Nancy, I-N. And so my first book, Indelible, but I didn't want them all to be I-N words. I wanted, I wanted to have vast differences. So I really had to, uh, study and I also did a contest with with the people who subscribed to my newsletter and people people were you know throwing in all kinds of I letter I letter words but it has to be four syllables why I I have no idea but that's what's in my brain and so we I got all kinds of so the 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 titles that are coming down the pike we've got indelible iconoclast impervious iniquity illusory and insidious that's what i know right now so there are some words i letter i words four syllable i words that do not just start with i n they're all over the board and i'm really tickled with that and it's thanks in great part to my readers but once i pick a word then i write with that in mind i see no, <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Well, yeah, but how do you know when it's the right word? Like, what is it? You know, I, I don't know, but somebody recently said you've got to use insidious. Just say that word, insidious. It just mm-hmm. tastes good. There's something just malevolent about it. There's something uh, just horrid about it and i don't write horror books at all in fact people start the book thinking they're reading cozies and then realize quickly that that they are not at all in a cozy but that is such that is such a insidious just just an iniquity i mean they're just great words wow so you're sure you're positive about things (laughs) (laughs) Was it was it a struggle going from nonfiction to fiction for you? Um, the only struggle was I would I was told that that authors who do that are not successful, and I'm that kind of person who, when somebody says you can't, you shouldn't, you wouldn't, you couldn't, I I just that's why I ran away from home when I was 15. Yes, I can, and so it it uh, I I have proved that over and over again that that is not accurate any any author who wants to write whatever you know they can switch they can go to poetry they can go to from fiction to nonfiction, from nonfiction to fiction i i believe that if you love what you're doing it shows in your work and and you're off and running what's the most important thing about writing a book to you i read i i write for readers i don't write for reviews, but I certainly do write to be read. I, I love the idea. I read. I read two and a half books roughly a week. I read all over the board, and I review every single book that I read unless I can't give it three stars or more. Then my mom always said, if you can't say something nice, just keep your mouth shut. <laughs> so I only write three or four or five-star reviews. But I I. I want people to read it. I want people to get the same. Right now, I'm reading um, Robert Dugoni. He lives in Seattle. I'm reading the fourth book in his Tracy Cross White series. And I'm saying, you know, I constantly interrupt my husband, Len, listen to this. Oh, my gosh, Len. And I want people to do that about the Sean McPherson books. I want people to get excited. Um, If one person ever on the planet says, oh, my gosh, Buchanan is my favorite writer, boy, I will have hit the target. I will be happy. Absolutely. Well, you know, you mentioned um, 
uh, that, that sometimes a reader will, will start out and they'll think they're reading a cozy, mm-hmm. and then it becomes something other than that. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering, uh, how, how has reader reaction been to that? Because sometimes people are looking for, you know, a cozy that doesn't have violence or whatever, and if there, if there is, you know, I'm just, I'm just curious. Right. So far, so uh, good. Because, like I said, right <laughs> up front, I let people know the the who done it and the why done it, so the, so they know. And, and also on the back of the the book, the summary is pretty clear that you're reading a suspense thriller. But it the way that I write um, the one of the main characters, Neil. He's one of the owners of Pines and Quill. He also is a gourmet cook, and he's a a a, a wine sommelier. I'm not sure if I just said that word right or wrong, but anyway, he pairs, everybody goes to the main house for dinner and he pairs these wonderful meals and I describe them. And that person is based on my real life husband, Len Buchanan, who is a, a wonderful cook and he is a, a wine connoisseur and he pairs things and he gives me my recipes. I mean, I don't put recipes in the books, but he gives me the menu plan and people love that. If you read the reviews, um, people, People typically love that, and you think, oh, wow, this is so quaint. And the place is quaint, minus the, the murders. <laughs> well, that puts a damper on things, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. <laughs> you know. Um, so what do you do with the murders, then? Are you are you very descriptive about how the person dies, or are you more just kind of get the job done? It, 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 it depends. Typically, I'm descriptive. Um, if, if there's a shootout, uh, you know, not so much, but if it's one-on-one, which that, that happens, I am descriptive. And that is something, again, that I saw in my head at night, and, and I am descriptive. Um, people, again, they like that white knuckle, not horror. That's complete, that's a different genre altogether. But I am descriptive, and, and, uh, you, you do feel like you're there. You don't feel like you're the one being murdered, but you do feel like, like you're, you're there when, when you read it. How do you make that sound realistic? I mean, uh, you know, put the person, so the reader's in the place where they actually feel the murder going on and understand it. Like, is there some, is there a trick to this? Do you go out and kill people and try like, out? I don't, actually, I don't actually kill people. A couple of things. First of all, um, in, in Idaho, where I live, there's the Idaho Writers Group, and every month we have Mystery Academy, and, and we get to, to, I've been to the morgue, I've been with the DNA specialists, I've been to the crime units. We get to just really interview, and then if you want afterward, you can, uh, if the person is willing, you can uh, schedule time with them and, you know, go on a police ride, whatever it might be, and I do that on a regular basis. I also, at least twice a month, uh, we either go, depending on the time of year, indoor shooting range, outdoor shooting range. I have a Ruger GP100. I fire it so I can describe firing a gun, what it sounds like, that with tremendous amount of accuracy. If there is a fight and it's hand-to-hand, I have my husband and I, we will actually, you know, work through it to make sure that what I'm saying is is accurate and you know nobody has three arms nobody has six hands you've got to be able to to work through it and so i will write it and then we will make sure that what i've said is accurate so i'm uh 
research is incredibly important to me. And that goes back to when, when I got my PhD. I mean, a heck of a lot of research went into that. And so I'm no stranger to it, and I happen to enjoy it. But I also like that we get the mystery academies each month, and then I can have additional time with those folks at a later date if they are so inclined. Do, do you actually have a subtext or a, 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 some sort of a theme or something you want the reader to get out of the book that's underlying, that's not in the, in yes. the entertainment part? And Oh, you do. So where, where does that come from, or is it first, or is it something that kind of happens naturally? It happens naturally, and strange as it might sound with what I've said so far, hope is the thing that I want readers to, to go away with, and, and justice, what justice actually is. A lot of people feel that justice is, oh boy, they got theirs. And there's that, while that is part of justice, there's much more to it than that. It's making sure that the, the, the survivors or the relatives of the survivors um, have some kind of something coming back to them. It is making sure that the punishment fits the crime. There are many, many, many layers to justice. And what, what I want readers to know, too, is that sometimes justice, there are men and women out there every day working for us, and sometimes justice comes at a cost, and sometimes that cost is a life or lives. And so I, 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 that is unspoken throughout the, all of the books, but hope. Hope is the underlying premise. I mean, we do live in a world you just have to turn on the news or open a paper any morning, and we know that the world is not always positive, uplifting, constructive, and healing. In fact, it can be mean, vicious, vile, and ugly. We all know that. But there is there's hope, and not everyone is awful. Again, and when you go back to the series, you, you said there's going to be seven books, I believe. So uh-huh. do, you, do you kind of know where that's all going? I know for sure what's happening in the next one because I'm just in within the next couple of weeks, I'll be writing the prologue for that. And then I have a, a really spectacular idea for the next one, but I don't have anything more than the idea for that. And again, it'll be based on the title, but I've got really tremendous ideas. And I, uh, some authors, unfortunately, hit something that they call a writer's block. I have yet for that to ever happen. I have such an imagination. I, I can't imagine that it would happen. It, I, it never fails. I go to bed, boom, I know what I'm writing the next day. It has never, ever failed me. Well, do you, do you ever get affected by things? Like when you talked about the world being such a positive place outside. I, I just wonder, like, if you turn on the news or you hear about this or that and, and all the stuff that goes on, does, does that interfere with your process? It, it, uh, I can leverage that. So if, if you remember recently in the news, um, I cannot remember her first name. and His name was Jeff or Jeffrey. But there was a woman uh, channeling underage women to this guy, for the purpose of, of sex, underage sex. And then there was intimations that there were uh, people in the government involved and that there were people even in the royal family perhaps involved and so on. And um, th- that is sex trafficking. And in the book that I'm writing now, there there's trafficking not only for that, but for people's organs, uh, taking 
and this this happens all the time. They will take somebody and kill them for for their organs. And there's a huge market for that. And I delve I delve into that. And when I do my research, it is it is sickening what human beings um, will do for money. It, it and and what even more so what human beings will do for power. That's the number one motivator. But sometimes in our world, money equals power. Not always, but on many occasions, that is the truth. So yes, the news can affect me. But I, I try to see how can I, how can I weave that, if it's appropriate, into my story and then get them. And then absolutely get them. Well, um, yeah, I, I, but, but do you ever get in a mood where it depresses you somewhat? And do, I guess what I'm trying to get at is like, so you've got the, the COVID and you've got all these things going on and, and people dying and stuff. Do you ever get a little bit down? And with that, does it make your writing, does it seep into your writing, do you think? I would, I'm not Pollyanna, but I really have a very, positive outlook I so I I would it affects me but I I've never experienced depression I've do things make me sad absolutely do I cry I can ball my eyes out um but it but I don't I'm like a weeble I wobble and I might fall down but I'm back up again right away yeah, yeah, I guess you have to, have to be, right? And mm-hmm. how do you change after writing each book? And I mean this, like, so you go through the process. Um, so, like, in Iconoclast, you went through that process. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you notice any change with your own writing when you go on to the next book? I do. I, I, I believe each book is more polished. I, I have beta readers. I have sensitivity readers. Uh, I'm, you know, dot my I's and cross my T's to make sure I don't step on anybody's toes in, you know, accidentally. I would never do it intentionally, but I have beta readers and sensitivity readers. And every time I give a new manuscript to them, they say, whoa, wow. And, and I, I believe I'm becoming more polished and i think that's natural if if i didn't i think that would be scary um but it it's it it apparently is obvious and so i'm glad about that so yes it's changing it's becoming more polished does that make you want to go back and rewrite some of your first (laughs) (laughs) yes yeah that's a never-ending battle that is you know it's it's um something is tough to get over because you're going to keep on writing and keep on getting better. Right. The the good news about the first book, it did walk away. Indelible walked away with seven pretty large awards. So I'm, I'm pretty tickled with it, but I still would go back and, and do a little bit of dusting and polishing. Do, do things like that, um, are they important to you? If, if you get awards or recognition or you get some sort of thing like that in the, in the groups or mystery groups and stuff, does that, mean something in a sense to you it it while i don't write for that it certainly is a a point of validation i i would never turn my nose up at something like that it 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 is nice in a way i would still write even if i never got an award um 
I would still write because I write for myself first. I write something that I would like to read. When I read at the end of a chapter, I have my husband sit down and I bawl my eyes out when I'm reading my own. He goes, Lori, but you know what's coming. You wrote it. And I go, I know. And I feel like if I'm crying, even though I know what's happening, it might be good. It might be good. And so an award validates for me. And, and I'm only speaking for me. I can't speak for any other author. I don't, I don't know why they write. I know why I write. And, and that is a point of validation for me. Yeah, it's pretty. How do you how do you react to uh, reviews? Do you are you the type of writer that will follow reviews and and look at everyone and kind of feel it good or bad? My my husband gave me a good piece of advice. I had gotten really good reviews and I was like, oh, oh, oh. and then I got my first two star review, and and I was like, oh my oh my gosh, and my feelings were hurt. And he said, whoa 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 whoa, if you're going to take reviews into account. You have to take them all into account. Otherwise, read them, but don't take anything into account. And that was really good. So if I'm going to ignore bad ones, I have to ignore good ones too. Or if I'm going to feel bad ones, if feel good ones, I have to feel bad ones too. But there, sometimes there's truth to, to what a disgruntled reader has said. And if I didn't, if I didn't acknowledge that, and see, is there, is, there some, is there a grain of truth to this? And if there is, what can I do differently from now on? I wouldn't be worth my salt if I, if I didn't do that. Now, I know some writers don't read any reviews. I do. I do. You could be like me and hunt them down. And- <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, re- I write to be read, and so I want to know what people think. If I said I didn't care what people think, then why am I writing? I do care what people think. Well, you know, you, you mentioned, um, you know, bawling your eyes out when you were uh, reading your own work mm-hmm. and, um, you know, uh, uh, killing off a character that uh, you didn't expect. And it just it just made me remember that, um, you know, I had a character where, um, you know, I didn't expect this character to, to die, but then realized, oh, the character, the, the character has to die. And I, I found it, um, you know, kind of a, an emotional experience. And I, I'm just wondering... Um, was that the same for you? Did you did you feel emotional in, in, in realizing this character? I, you know, I did. One of my characters, I won't say who because it would be a spoiler, but one of the characters, a very good person, dies. And I had to write the eulogy. And I had never, first, I've never written a eulogy. I've never given a eulogy before. I had mm-hmm. no idea. Now my hat is off to anybody who can get up in front of a, a congregation of people and and say a eulogy. Oh, my gosh. Mm. So as I had to write Tough. this eulogy, and I also had to write the, the, uh, the thing for the paper. Oh, my gosh. I was just sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. And I read a lot of eulogies. I read a lot of obituaries to kind of get a flavor. And this person was so unique. Um, that it took a lot, a lot, a lot of research, and it was very affecting. It affected me uh, in a large way. So you said you never get any um, writer's block, or you haven't. Um, What tends to be your process in writing? So, you know, you get the idea at night, and you get up. Do you just sort of sit in a room by yourself and write? Do you have music going? Do Do you have a process that you have to have around? I do. So I, I get up 
very early. I get up at four o'clock in the morning and I, the first thing I do is I walk two miles. It's still dark. I have a headlamp on. Uh, I walk two miles and then I sit and I write for two hours and then I walk for two miles and I write for two hours and I walk for two miles. So I walk six miles a day in three two mile stints and and I, I break break up my writing day that way. And it averages to be about a 20-minute mile. It doesn't take me long. I'm very tall. I have very long legs. And I just book on down the, the right along the Boise River. It's called the Greenbelt. And I just, I just go. And people know me. They, you know, they wave at me. There she is again. Oh, my gosh. There she goes again. <laughs> um, and, they, and they see me. And that is part of my part of my routine. I have a little, I'm sitting in it right now. It is six feet by nine feet. I live in the carriage house of, of one of the historical buildings in, um, in Warm Springs, which is a historical district, one of the six historical districts in Boise, Idaho. And um, there's, of course, four walls, two walls. One is solid glass and the other is almost solid glass. So I get to look out and see things, whether it's raining, whether it's snowing, whether it's sunshine, whether there's, you know, people mowing the lawn, whatever it might be. And I, that, that is what I do. I, I, I sit and I work and I, I treat writing as an appointment. It is scheduled in my planner. Um, my friends and family are aware of it. Um, they've learned that writing is, is just as if I had been in the corporate world. It's that important to me. And so we all respect it. It just, do you- can you do it no matter what mood you're in? Yep. It's, it's a job. You have to go to your job whether you like it or not. It, it is a job. And I have a little sign on my door that I wrote many years ago when my son was young and still living at home. It says there better be blood, flood, or fire. My family and friends know don't, don't mess with mama. Don't mess with mama. <laughs> but I, I show up regardless of how I feel. And just like you're there at work today, you showed up whether you wanted to be there or not. I show up. Right. Yeah. And that's important. Um, now, what are you hoping people take away or get out of a book that you write? I hope that they get, you know, nine or ten hours, however long it takes them to read it, of pure entertainment. Just I spend an awful lot of money on books. I don't I don't buy physical books because I don't have the space for them, but I have them on an e-reader and, or, you know, or I, I live between two of those little, uh, what are they called? Little free libraries and I'll go get them and then go put them back. And I put my own books in there too. And they're always gone, which makes me happy. Um, but I want people to, to love reading the books. I want them to wait, you know, to, to be anxiously waiting. Like I love Louise Penny, the, the chief inspector Gamache books. I, I adore her and I adore her books and I can hardly wait for the next one. Her next one is going to be book 18. And I hope that I, right now I'm under a seven book contract. I hope that it'll be, uh, you know, boosted because people love it that much. Yeah. It's, it's well, hopefully it helps. It works for you. You know, hopefully people get into it. Um, what is one book? So someone that's never heard of you before, mm-hmm. uh, which one book would you want them to read? While they certainly don't have to start at the beginning, because it's a series, it's really nice because there's character development. Uh, I think that they should start with Indelible. If, if, if they're going to start somewhere, um, start with Indelible. That's, that's like heroin. It'll get you hooked, I promise. 
<laughs> okay. You should call it iHeroin. <laughs> well, just an idea. Um, okay. So now, do you have a website of your own, and do you uh, like to um, um, kind of work with people on social media, like readers and fans? Um, if so, how would people find you, and what's your website? Well, my website is... My first of all, my name is spelled L A U R I E, so it's Lori Buchanan, B U C H A N A N dot com, and from there they can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and um, oh my gosh, uh, I just left my mind. It starts with an I. Instagram. There we go. <laughs> so okay. that's how they can find me, Lori Buchanan dot com. They can subscribe to a newsletter if they want. That's where I do. I have a giveaway going right now for the book that's about to go out, a Goodreads giveaway. They can sign up for that, um, and they can find out what's going on in my world if they're interested. You're not on uh, TikTok yet? I'm not on TikTok. <laughs> I, that, that, I'm not. <laughs> no. You have to work on that. You just get on yeah, there and start go. dancing around I, with your book. You know? <laughs> there you go. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, we'll have everything up on our website so people can find you with one click and then they can get to you, get to your book, and and uh, hopefully enjoy it. So, Thank you. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure. Um, the book we're talking about is Iconoclast, and it's a Sean McPherson novel, book two. And the author is our guest, Laurie Buchanan. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. This has been fun. Thank you. Thanks, Laurie. Tired of wasting time trying to decide what to watch on your streaming service? Go to our website and look for the Martino Movie Reviews. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.